interview with Chris part two. Very good. Um, you wanted to add oh, about just Callum? Yeah, well, I'm thinking about it. So when I suppose it must have been after working at Common Sound, I made a feature for Radio Sheffield about dads, which involved me when, when Hattie was pregnant, and where I talked to my father about This was the first... Child care. This is Joe's pregnancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to a friend who was sharing childcare with his partner and to various Sheffield dads, one of whom had been made redundant and was now doing shared childcare or he was the child carer, and my dad, I've just I recently refound these and played them to my daughter, actually, um, but uh, my dad, for a while, when we were small, he looked after us because he'd lost his job, and my mum enjoyed hers a lot, and he loved looking after kids, and she loved the job, but they didn't do it for very long because they felt it was wrong, you know, it just didn't, didn't feel acceptable and uh, it was interesting listening to that again and noticing how he how uncomfortable he was even talking about it even though he knew I was very sort of proud of him for having done that interesting but so that was one thing but I also started doing working with a friend of Hattie's Carol Painter we did features for Radio Hallam for a kind of magazine program every that came out every day and that was great. I interviewed Roger McGough. Uh, we interviewed Gloria Graham when she was doing her, mm. her burst in the north of England, playing um, Tennessee and Tennessee William Clay, and covered sort of you know exhibitions, p- political activities. Got tickets to all the shows at the Crucible and reviewed. It was great. So that was all good fun as well. And it, I mean, it did feel like those days where you could just show up and say you're interested in something and then get get to do it not for very much money I mean high unemployment but mm. therefore a sort of freedom to do what you want and yeah. sometimes earn a pittance doing it mm. yeah so how long were you in Sheffield? Uh, the 80s so it's about 10 years right and that was there a couple of years more yeah because she'd gone up first yeah it felt like we were going to be there forever. I mean, it was quite very sort of proud of itself kind of place. Mm. And also quite intimidating. You know, you did feel very much sort of watched by this kind of community. Um, what, the people who'd, who'd been there for a long time? The locals? Yeah, uh, no, the locals, but also this sort of whole kind of radical world of oh, okay. interconnectedness somehow. Um, yeah. Amazing. I mean, it, and it changed a lot during that time as well. I mean, that's quite a long time. Mm. What brought you back to London? Well, actually, the, the thing that happened afterwards was that Pat Coleman, who ran the Sheffield Libraries, moved to Birmingham, and she set up a job which was like—I mean, my career didn't like career. You know, it was the only job which was a sort of development of the work I was doing at the libraries in Sheffield so it was a community arts development officer or you know, grander title and I applied for that and got it so I moved to we moved to Birmingham oh you went to Birmingham right three years in Birmingham and that was kind of amazing because it was like suddenly arriving in the management team in Birmingham Central Library just um, which has been knocked down since but it was quite an amazing place and suddenly finding, you know, if you'd be at a meeting and you'd come up with it, you'd say something and everybody would sort of write down what you said, you know, 
<laughs> and uh, I got money to relocate. They put me up in a hotel for quite a long time and they paid for all the carpets in our house when we moved over mm. in this little package. And we did some f great work there, actually. Hat by them was doing public art, so she was busy. She did some art that's on the for the Midland Arts Centre and um, was doing work in schools and things around then. And uh, we did a set up, I think, called Meet the Decade Day, which linked to this Towards the Millennium Festival, so where we'd put up, again, the whole library would become the 1910s or 20s. And uh, all sorts of extraordinary things would happen. We had an all-nighter at the library where we were open all through the night with arts events and strange things happening, which was very good fun. And, um, yeah, more kind of community publishing mm. and the rest of it. Uh, but it was also seriously sort of corporate, you know, with quite a high-pressure council, you know, um, not a left-wing environment. Right. So you were always, you know, you're getting... I remember we'd commissioned uh, a... a an artist to make a desk for the library, a new build library. So it was a kind of original artwork and it cost pretty much, I mean, those things always cost a lot of money. A customized piece of furniture always costs a lot of money. Mm. But once we'd announced it, you know, that night there were headlines, somebody reading a newspaper, you know, council wastes this much money on blah, blah, blah. So there was always that, you know, things could get quite kind of explosive like mm. that. And, I felt, yeah, that weird thing. It was like a really interesting job, but in other ways very sort of flattening. You know, it was completely took me over. Mm. Um, but we got some very good friends there. It seems amazing with such a short time because we're still good friends with lots of people. So hard work. It was hard work and quite kind of, yeah, just kind of constant pressure. Right. And then I suppose quite quickly thinking, well, either we're going to stay here forever now with the kids growing up. My daughter Dora was born then. And oh, Dora. So when was Dora born? She was born in 89 in Sheffield. 84, five, no. Oh, God, I'm going to get this wrong. 86 it must have been in Sheffield. Hmm. So, and they were getting to get good friends there. So it was, you know, we either had to move on or not. It was tough for them, I think, the moves. Uh, but then I applied for this job at the Poetry Society. In London? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And actually the starting point of that was that I got a call from the director of the Poetry Society when this job was advertised. And I wasn't in, I just got a message to call him back. And when I got it, I thought, wow, I wonder if, could I be being headhunted, you know? And I thought, wow, you know, although I wouldn't dream of applying for it, but I could, you know applied for funding and worked with the arts and writers and all that so I sort of built this up when I got through to him he was it was about something completely different but it was enough to make me think okay I'll apply for that then yeah. um. <laughs> so we moved back to London mm. and you got it I got it and it was a kind of dream job. It was like being the minister for silly walks. I thought. <laughs> it felt like not just a job, it was like a calling. It was this extraordinary, mm. wow. And mm. I suppose I'd always you know, been vaguely aware of the Poetry Society. And it had this building in Covent Garden, which everybody saw as a terrible you know, 
bolt hole because they used to have a big place in Earl's Court which they'd have to oh, sell. Oh, did they? Right. All these terrible conflicts and things like that. Um, but I thought, wow, how cool is this? A place mm. in Covent Garden. And mm. we got lottery money to create a poetry cafe in the basement and a poetry studio upstairs. And um, very exciting times. So what was... What did your job entail? You were promoting poetry. Well, yeah, I mean, being the director, which I suppose in a way, the last job, I just got begun to get the hang of this. I remember my boss, Pat, saying that I was really good at delegating. <laughs> and at the time, I, my reaction was, you know, you're taking the piss, aren't you? You're being rude. But I realised she meant it, you know. And realising the sort of, the importance of being able to say, well, that's a talent. Do it, you know, I mean, yes. exactly. So, I mean, I always tended, people at the library, I loved that job because people would come in and say, I've got an idea. And you could mm. always say, well, do it, you know. Mm. Um, we'll find somewhere to do it at some level. It might not be huge. It might not be very well funded, but you can do it. Mm. Whereas a lot of people in that position spend their whole time saying, no, you know, I'm yes. sure you're not good enough. Queue up here, you know. Well, you were the Jim Haynes of the... Uh society that's, that's really nice never saying no yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah who was it now that was Len Sisse said he saw me saw me as a sort of Quaker like you know open I don't know there was something quite nice about this idea that he thought I was somebody that encouraged things to happen yeah well that's lovely uh, yeah and it was again a bit like the thing with the libraries is that you know there are all these different they're public but they're not in a click it's not like a theatre but they've all got space where you can mm. say, do it in the corner, do it, mm. do this for whoever comes through the door mm. or do this on Wednesday evening with the pensioners or do this on a, you know, there's always, or do it in the car park, mm. put it on the wall. <laughs> all these things are possible. Yes. Um, Later on, you went to do it, the one in Hornsey Library, an all-nighter. We did an all-nighter in Hornsey Library, yeah. Uh, the one of the things in Birmingham I was proudest of was a project about silence and the whole idea of silence in the library and, Silence is this, you know, shut up and um, yeah. Well, it is very Quaker-like and but, but, Buddha, but Buddha-like. also exactly, but also meditate in the library and you know contemplate and maybe to feel silent inside, you need to have headphones on and be able to talk. You know, what, what's what's the level of distraction of, of of noise which helps you to concentrate, and when does it become the opposite mm. of that all those sorts of things very interesting we had, yeah. a, had a percussionist play in the central library which was quite a noisy place with in birmingham yeah and his what he did was try and build up as much noise you know sound as you could get without anybody quite registering it for instance <laughs> I mean, that's a really interesting stuff great so i suppose i brought some of that to the approach to the poetry society but the rest of the time, I mean, all of this involves a lot of writing funding applications. I mean, that became my major art form. Yeah, and well, you, you became very good at that. Uh, yeah, good time to be doing it, because it's not just me. But because there, there was money around. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, but you still got to write a good application. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was good fun. Mm. It also involved having to cope with lots of very different schools of poetry, as it were. So, you know, very different characters. And there had been this huge, these battles. There'd been a fist fight at the Poetry Society and AGM before I got there. 
the old guard versus the new guard, apparently. So again, it was quite a sort of hot potato, you know. Uh, and the, I had to be able to kind of get on with everybody, which was fun, but I think it also kind of made it... The drawback about working in the arts is it makes it harder to be a, a maker, I think, because as long as I'm not writing anything, I'm not identified with any particular sort of category. Mm. Um, but, it, you know, it worked well. Peace broke out in poetry. National Poetry Day took off. I was very lucky to get there. Just when I arrived, this thing called New Generation Poets was being launched, which I had nothing to do with the planning of. But weeks into my reign there, all the national papers, all the broadsheets, had a picture of 20 young poets in the window of poetry society and this was this whole thing about poetry being the new rock and roll and all these people Jackie Kay and Simon Armitage and you know a whole array of talent was kind of presented to the world so it was I I, I got in at a very good moment yes um, fantastic yeah so but you must have brought a lot to that to allow it to happen uh, I hope so yeah. yeah I mean it was a it was an exciting moment. It did mm. feel a bit like the sort of golden age. Yeah. Yeah. Then. And then you entered the story, <laughs> actually. Yeah. Wow. So you were still at the Protest Society when um, Jane and Warren formed Writers Republic. Yeah. So I was in that job for about six years, and at the end of it, yeah. So Jane McMurray and Warren Lakin founded yeah. Writers Republic. Yeah. And uh, they thought it'd be a good idea uh, to bring us together as a writing team to try and write a sitcom. Yeah. So I had the Betty Spittle book and all of that, and Cindy Oswin was a great writer and talent and we were introduced to each other to I mean with the idea I think that was how we were, we were brought together to do that really mm. weren't we so we wrote a, um, an episode of something called The Twirlies which was um, these radical pensioners living in a home together and preparing to you know, change the world and then we had the, another of these opening in the pattern of Betty who <laughs> was kind of we wrote the script, delivered it to the BBC, who thought it was fantastic and wanted they saw it on the BBC One and the new Victor Meldrew, you know, all that kind of t t talk. And then we wrote a second one with help from. We wrote three. We wrote three all together. Did we read three? Well, they said it was an important third. Um, third episode was the one that would nail it. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. But we worked with that, you know, that company, um, Island, or was it the... With uh, Ewan. Yeah. And we delivered it. Well, the, we were commissioned by the Independent Commissioning Group. And the head of BBC One loved what we did. And by the time we delivered the second one, the Independent Commissioning Group had disappeared. The head of BBC One had gone. All their projects were kind of out the window. 80% or something of everything... Yeah. had um, wiped. But meanwhile, I'd left. I think that was my... Yes. I left yeah. the Poetry Society. Yeah. 
And then, yeah, that was, and then I got this job again. I mean, after, what do you do after the Poetry Society? Well, the only other thing like it was Book Trust, which was another book charity. Um, so I did that, which I think, I don't know, I kind of wish I hadn't really. Really? Funny mixture. Um, but you were involved in Sure Start and books for Yeah, babies. I mean, it was, no, I, I, it was an amazing, all sorts of interesting things happened. I travelled the world because we did the Commonwealth Writers' Prize, which for some bizarre reason involved us, the administrators and the authors and the judges all travelling to different parts of the Commonwealth once a year. Uh, I got to the palace as part of there was a big Buckingham yeah yeah um, because the they had a big thing for publishing in the book world and I was there with that I took my little scooter in I got my scooter then because we were based in Wandsworth which was a long journey but quite fun on a scooter you told me you, you met Prince Philip Prince Philip uh, who was our he was our patron I took his picture down when I first got to Book Trust and the cleaner put it back up again and I took it down, the cleaner put it back up. <laughs> and when we went to the palace, somebody told him about the book start scheme and he was heard going around saying, do you know those people over there? They give books to babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we met him and Prince Andrew chatted up our head of children's services and um, all of that. But I mean, I think you should say more about how you were involved I mean you were involved with Gordon Brown and yeah so Bookstart gave book gives books to every child and we got funding from well when I well, actually when I arrived in that job the first thing was there was this huge kind of financial crisis coming which I had to deal with and with the company with the end I think Bookstart had got some money and it was about to run out and the whole the whole of Book Trust was basically sort of based on that. Um, so there was, yeah, trouble brewing kind of thing. It's going to be hard. And we managed to get Sarah Brown. We, we, did, we got a fundraiser in who I worked with and we talked to lots of different people to get a kind of support group. We had an event at the Groucho Club and Alex Wheatle spoke of it very passionately about how he'd been introduced to reading and writing when he was in prison. And Alex Wheatle, his, that was one of the Steve McQueen, the Small Axe episodes, is his story. So he's ah. just come back. Well, I mean, he's a successful writer for mm. teenagers. But he, I mean, you know, he opened, opened the mind and opened the purse strings, kind of thing. Right. And Sarah Brown, she joined... Gordon Brown's wife. Yeah, who had... Um, she, yeah, she joined our support group very keenly, and then I remember she phoned up to say she was going to leave, and I was really disappointed. And then almost the next day, Gordon Brown delivered his three-year spending plan, it, which included Bookstart being funded fully. Terrific. So, and it was the only time the arts then had been mentioned in the three-year spending review. And um, oh, it was fantastic. It was yeah. really exciting. Yeah. And then we went, we did an event at, before that, well, thanks to her, we did an event at number 10. And then their Christmas project one year we were involved in and all that kind of thing. 
And Gordon Brown was a fantastic supporter, and Sarah Brown even more so. She was brilliant. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and it was a wonderful scheme. Wendy Cooling devised it. Um, the idea of giving books, getting kids aware of books. It wasn't about teaching anybody to read. It was about babies just enjoying the notion of a book and and parents getting used to sitting down with their kids and, and reading telling them a story. Mm. Yeah. Um, so no, we did really good stuff, and it involved. Recently, we we went for a meal on the other in Hammersmith, and that thing about travelling through London after so much time locked down to kind of my territory then, and thinking, wow, I went to a meeting there. You know, that's where AOL were based, and oh, we used to do stuff there. You know, feel mm. just big city and a good excuse to kind of walk through all sorts of doors and meet mm. all sorts of interesting people, London yeah, Book Fair like and things like yeah. that. Yeah. It was, um, it was fascinating, but it was always, well, it was full of these stress, financial stresses, full of very different, there were some people working there who hardly ever went into the centre of London and were just like, you know, local um, people working in admin. And then there were some people who were very sort of driven in different ways in the sort of publishing field or the information field, but lots of different slightly kind of competing tribes of people kind of working mm -hmm. there and 50 staff and I think a bit of that kind of lonely at the top you know I felt a bit kind of mm. uh, again flattened by this thing about being the boss right despite all the you know the privileges of having people kind of mm. you know arrange things for you and I'd swan in and make a little introductory talk about something that mm. I delegated to lots of other people mm. And when I finally went freelance, it was a big shock because you get so used to saying, "Oh yeah, we'll do that." <laughs> I'll somebody, I'll you know, somebody will do that for us. When did you leave there? Uh, now at the end of that, God, this is going on. I can't remember the date. I started in two thousand, and I worked there for seven years, so two thousand seven. Mm -hmm. And at the end, we'd set up a thing called Flow, which stood for Friendly Literature Organisations. Mm. And the bosses of various book trusts and the Poetry Society and the Poetry Book Society and the Arvon and others, we, we organised some sort of training for each other. I did my MA in Creative Writing and New Media around about then. And... Yeah, it was nice actually because it's very like a lot of these charitable things. They're very competitive as well, you know, because you're yeah. you're pitching for the same little bits of money. I bet with yep. overlapping aims, you know. So, mm. Yeah. Um, so that but that was a good thing, and I let. So they're doing the MA. Actually, one of, of course one of the results, this thing which was training up all these leaders to be better leaders, they all immediately either swapped jobs or left, you know, they, they, people moved on. And thank God I left Book Trust just before the crash, you know, because um, it would have been very hard to leave, you know, in the middle of a financial crisis. <laughs> um, yeah. Mm. But by then I'd done this MA in creative writing uh, a new media at, mm. can't going on and on about me but that's fine. Uh, this is an interview with you it's true should we take a pause yeah now? let's take a pause that's good <laughs> 